0: Good morning everyone, welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee and it is my privilege both uh, for those who are here in person as well as joining us on the live stream uh, to welcome you to worship this morning. If you're visiting with us here, we wanna offer a very, very warm welcome to you. We're thrilled you have chosen to worship with us this morning. We hope that as you came in, you were given one of our goodie bags, I I think in a friendly way, like to call it a bag of swag. So I hope you got the swag, the good stuff, those nice tumblers that are in there. Those are wonderful things. I guess this time of year, filled with either hot chocolate or coffee, kind of fill it up there and try to stay warm in this. At least for me, I don't think my Florida blood has totally thickened yet, so it is feeling a little bit cold. And as always, I'm going to ask, if you're sitting on the end of an aisle, get the friendship pad started. We would love to know that you are here, and that is whether you are a long-time member, regular attender, or a visitor this morning. We certainly appreciate you signing in and letting us know uh, that you're here. A couple of brief announcements I want to thank all of you who have who have reached out to Evie and I in the passing of my father. We are grateful uh, for your kindness and your love, your prayers. We certainly ask your prayers this week as we'll be heading down after service today to go down to uh, Florida and be with family so I'll be out of the office the better part of this week, but uh, Lord willing intend to be here next sunday and so uh, If I make it through today and make it through the service and all that, my intention certainly is to be here. And this is a special service as our focus is on installing. uh, And I say installing, we're not going to be ordaining anyone. These are all men who've been elders or deacons before, but we're installing them later in the service to the office of elder and deacon. We've been sharing about uh, kind of the emphasis we've been doing on uh, nursery. Tommy Evans will be outside again uh, by the sign-up sheet. If you are interested, we are, we're moving closer. I think we're almost halfway there to having as many volunteers that we'd only have to do it. You'd only have to be in there once every two months. So let's keep going, keep the push going. We really want this year to be a year where we are focusing on, and I wanna make sure I say both of this, not just children, but children and youth. We want to really focus on our youth and children and families and have that be a major part of our culture here at Lake Oconee. So we appreciate doing that. So several other things you can note in your bulletins, uh, hopefully after the service, not during the sermon. I would really appreciate that. And so, uh, as the prelude is played, let's focus our hearts on lifting up our hearts to the Lord in praise and in worship this morning. What an appropriate prayer as we enter into the presence of the Lord. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. May that be our hearts as we exalt and praise the name of Jesus. And forgive me for sharing different thoughts that come to my mind this morning, but as I was preparing my own heart for worship this morning, I was struck by what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 about one of the realities of worship and one of the realities of our Christian walk, our journey, as we do that. And it says, therefore, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And I couldn't help but think that this will be the first Sunday for me, that my father is part of that great cloud of witnesses that are there. The writer to the Hebrews is almost putting it like a sporting arena, cheering us on who are still, as I've been speaking about this kind of concept of the new exodus, and where are we in our journey? No matter where we are, no matter what our age is, we are in the wilderness sojourning and traveling towards our promised land, towards the inheritance, where God will say, I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning or crying or death or pain. Let's be renewed in our hope. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 96, verses 1 through 4. The psalmist cries out, "O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Lord, may we gather as one people with one heart, one mind, and one voice to declare your glory, your majesty, your splendor, and your worth. Fill us this morning with praise of who you are. Renew us in hope and in the good news of your kingdom. We invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to join with us this morning as we pray and praise you. We ask this. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Friends, let us stand together as we sing this great hymn of the faith, The Church's One Foundation. As our focus this morning is on the leadership of the church, we're going to read together a passage from the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 34, and the context of Ezekiel chapter 34 is after Ezekiel prophesied that basically the shepherds of the Old Testament, let me put this as blunt and plain as I can in the Jeff Birch paraphrase, they were doing a lousy job. And so here's the gospel. God himself, and of course we can now look ahead several hundred years, right? We look ahead. Ezekiel didn't have a name to put with it. But God himself in the person of Jesus Christ will be the good shepherd. You know, even us as leaders, I want to take some pressure off the men I'm going to be install we're going to be installing in a few minutes, okay? None of us live up to Jesus. He's the good shepherd. We are at best under shepherds whose jobs are to... Set the pace and point the rest of us to Jesus. I have a good friend who just wrote a book, and it's called I Am Not the Christ. And I think that's what we need to remember. And Ezekiel 34, I'm going to read from verses 11 to 16 and then down in 23 and 24, is Ezekiel's prophecy of how the Lord God himself will seek us out and be our shepherd. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And Then down in verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's stand together and sing in Christ alone. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. Death does not have the final word. The resurrection is the final word. And our ultimate hope is God's new world, the new heavens, and the new earth. And friends, my heart is that everyone here today, everyone listening, would know Jesus Christ and have that hope. I'll tell you, I can't wait to play golf with my dad again. I'm going to get on Pebble Beach one way or the other, Doug. Let's pray together. In unison, we will pray the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in this time of pastoral prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, I thank you that you rule and that you reign. That you command our destiny. And that death does not have the final word over us, but resurrection is the final word. May your name be hallowed in everything we do, and everything we say, and all that we are. May our beings be more and more cultivated by your grace to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Father, we thank you for your abundant grace and your abundant mercy. And, Father, this day, we think about the leaders of the church. Thank you, Father, that you have so ordained and so chosen that you rule and you reign through leaders who are captured by your gospel, gripped by your grace. I pray for our elders and deacons, and I pray above our skill, above our common sense, above our competence, above our giftedness, would be a passion for Jesus Christ and the gospel, a love for people, and a desire to see your gospel known in our community. As we're going to look at your word this morning, may we consider our lives not of any value whatsoever unless we complete the task which you've called us, the task of testifying to the grace, the gospel of the grace of God. So, Father, I pray for our leadership. I pray for the unity of the church. I thank you for your presence among us. I thank you for what you're doing here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian. And, Father, as we pray thy kingdom come, I can't help but think of the other churches in this community. And I pray that you will bless them, that we would together have a corporate witness to your glory and to your kingdom. And so I think of Lakeside Baptist and Lake Point and Grace Fellowship and Lake Oconee Church and Lake Oconee Lutheran. I pray for their pastors, their leaders, and their people. And I pray that we would, with one voice, one heart, and one mind, as one church, make known the glorious riches of Jesus Christ. I ask your blessing on these churches as I ask your blessing on this particular congregation. Father, I thank you so much that we have the opportunity to worship you, to be together as a family. You give us in so many forms our daily bread. You take care of us physically, feed us spiritually, nurture us emotionally, give us one another relationally. Lord, we bless you and pray that you would deliver us from all evil. For we acknowledge, Father, that yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, Yours is the power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. it's every week. I feel like I have to go,
1: go choir.
0: I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but at Evie's and I's wedding, uh, probably the most moving part for us was we sang as a congregation, How Great Thou Art. So I can still picture my dad as we worship the Lord together singing, How Great Thou Art. So... If I'm telling too many of these stories, please stop me. I'm just trying to hold it together and trusting the Lord as we do this. And you all are my family. And so we are doing this together. Let's pray as we approach God's word. Father, thank you for your scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So, Lord, we're not just hearing information about you, but you are revealing yourself to us. You are opening yourself up to us, and may we come under your word and receive it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have Bibles, I would encourage you to turn in them to Acts chapter 20. We are looking, just taking one week off our study of the book of Romans and looking at a text of Scripture that is um, appropriate to our installing leaders. And just to give you a little bit of context, since I've not been teaching on the book of Acts, just so you can put this here, Acts chapter 20, Paul is on his third missionary journey. So here's Paul, and let me tie it in with Romans. What did he say? He is set apart for the gospel of God to bring the obedience of faith to the Gentiles. So he's traveled around to all these various Uh, cities, one of which is the city of Ephesus, and he's planted a church there. He established a church there, and now on his third missionary journey, as he's continuing his travels, he's about 30 miles to the south from the city of Ephesus in a city by the name of Miletus, where he sent for the elders of the Ephesians church, and so he is about to... This is Paul's farewell... Sermon, exhortation, whatever you want to put, to the leaders of the church of Ephesus. And as you will see, it's extremely relevant for our day as well. So friends, hear the word of God from Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Leaders are change agents. They set the pace. Let me tell you something. In case you're thinking I'm just speaking to the four or five men who are going to be up here in just a few minutes, and the rest of you can go, great, a week off. I'm liking this text. I get to just sit back and relax. Jeff's speaking to the leaders. He's not... The tasks of leaders and the tasks of the people of God are exactly the same. Leaders, though, are called to set pace. That's why it's only as far as the leaders go that the church will go. But we're all called to do the same things. So, I'm going to speak a lot about shepherding this morning. Leaders set the pace, whether you're an elder or a deacon, you set the pace in shepherding. But we're all called to shepherd one another following the example of Jesus Christ. We shepherd each other in our families, in our workplaces. We're always caring and nurturing and proclaiming and testifying. So I'm going to say it right at the outset. Charles Barkley was wrong. Remember what Charles Barkley said about 30 years ago? He said, I'm not a role model. Yes, y'all are role models. We are all called to be leaders, to have influence, to exercise influence in whatever our sphere is give you one more story about my father and stuff like that. There was never a question my father was the leader of our family. I had no doubts about that and he liked to express his leadership in our family. Sometimes uh, you know, I would tell him as I got older yeah dad uh, you're contributing to my therapy I'll need a little bit later but you know you were a leader. So like I remember and obviously our lives revolved around sports an awful lot. I mean that's just what we did. He coached my baseball team, taught me to play golf, and he liked to watch when I played basketball. Okay, now it was not a, you know, you look at this, yes, I stopped growing at some point. So that, that came to an abrupt end. But I was a pretty good player and enjoyed play, And I'll never forget my dad sitting up in the stands, okay, leading. You, you yourselves decide how effective he was and I'd be dribbling the ball up or doing something because I was a point guard on the team, and all of a sudden I would hear this, Reckless abandon, son! Reckless abandon! Thanks, Dad. I'll invite my friends over for dinner, and, and we'll do that. Leaders are change agents. Paul is challenging the leaders at the church of Ephesus, those elders, giving them this direct address, talking to them about what is, another way of probably titled the sermon, a leader's life. We could have called it a leader's job description. This is what a leader is all about, and it is much more about character than competence. It is much more about godliness than skill. It is much more about you becoming Christ-like than it is having business acumen. It is much more about bearing the fruit of the Spirit, looking like 1 Corinthians 13, actually emulating and being formed into the image of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, than it is being talented. We need to be much more Christ-like in our leadership and in our Christian lives. And so from this text, we're going to look at just real briefly three quick points, three... Perspectives about a leader's life or a leader's job description. That is, a leader's life is a called life, is a diligent life, and is a sacrificial life. And every single one of those attributes has to do with character. I could repeat this sermon in six months when Jim says it's time to do nominations again. Guess what? I'm going to say the same thing. When you're looking to choose elders and deacons Look for character above everything else. First of all, a leader's life is a called life. Look with me at verse 24 where Paul says, I do not account my life of any value. If only I may finish the course and the ministry, the task, in other words, that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. There was a leadership writer, his name's Bobby Clinton, who wrote this. He said, effective leaders view present ministry in terms of a lifelong developmental perspective. The difference between leaders and followers is perspective. The difference between leaders and effective leaders is better perspective. Effective leaders have better perspective. Perspective is all about mindset and how we view things. That's why Romans 12 Paul says you're transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's why I agree with Bobby Clinton's quote above that the difference between leaders and followers is perspective and the difference between leaders and effective leaders is better perspective. So what was Paul's perspective on his life? First, it was that he considered his life not even worth living. Listen to to this. I count my life of having no value if I don't obey the call of God on my life. My life doesn't count for anything if I don't obey the call. His life was worth nothing to him. So the first part of his perspective is he's saying my life is not my own. I'm not the determiner of my life. I don't decide and choose for myself. Yes, I make choices. But only under the call of God and the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not that we put aside agency, but it's agency wrapped under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the first part of the lordship of Jesus Christ is that I am not my own. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that. We've been bought with a price, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Then look at what he says. He says he was given a task by the Lord. Now, remember what I said earlier. If you're not an elder or a deacon, you don't get to go. Glad I haven't been given this task. No, we've all been given the task. Elders and deacons set the pace. But we've all been given this task. Paul says the task I was given was to testify to the gospel of God's grace. The entirety of our lives is an embodiment of the gospel is a witness to the gospel and a witness to the gospel of God's grace. That's verbally as we proclaim the gospel. That's non-verbally as we are communicating. Huh, I wonder what we are communicating sometimes to the world around us. See, his perspective is that he was given a task by the Lord and his life is not worth nothing. His life was worth nothing if he didn't finish that task. And it's that perspective, the sense that he viewed his life under that umbrella of a calling that gave him the energy and the passion, the determination, and even the perseverance. That's why he says, I know what's awaiting me. What's awaiting me is afflictions, imprisonments, rejection, betrayal, suffering. But it's okay, because I've been given this call Think about the athletes that we follow. Rumor has it, you could tell me later, is Tom Brady retiring or not retiring? Do we know yet? Have we figured out yet, is he retiring? You know, it's kind of like, loves me, loves me not, loves me, loves me not, okay? Is Tom Brady retiring? But what makes Tom Brady, as people say, the greatest of all time, the GOAT, as they call him? It's his passion. Across the board, everybody says it's his work ethic. It's his perspective. Listening, again, as I've been a sports fan all these years, listening to various videos where of him talking, he talks about he has to be committed, get out of his comfort zone, his determination, and that's what gave him the drive, the energy. As a matter of fact, whether it's a Tom Brady, whether it's a Michael Jordan or whatever, most people say that what differentiates because all of the athletes are spectacular athletes. They have incredible physical abilities. But what separates the good from the great to the absolute best is their energy and passion and drive. Listen to the Apostle Paul. And he says here the opposite. See, I want you to think about this in light of the gospel. He's talking about testifying to the gospel of God's grace. The opposite of a called life is a driven life. He's not saying he's driven. He's saying he's called. This is highly relational. See, a called life is a free, liberated life. Whereas the driven life is a stressful, anxious, insecure life. He has been gripped by the gospel of God's grace. Grace has taken over his soul. He's not performing He's not being driven. He's not saying my life is worth nothing unless I accomplish these results. My life is worth nothing if I don't freely, in a liberated manner, with authority, with confidence, carry out the ministry that I've been given, the ministry simply of telling everybody the awesomeness of God's grace. See, I want us as a church to be a called church, to be gripped by grace, to be captivated by grace, to wake up in the morning and say, I can't believe I'm forgiven. It is absolutely mind-boggling that the God of the universe would accept me, that the God of the universe would look upon me with delight and favor. May that capture our souls. Second, if a leader's life is a called life, a leader's life is also a diligent life. Look with me at verse 28. Verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock of which God has bought with his own blood. Now, this is really important. Pay careful attention also means keep watch. Give oneself to. Be diligent to do. The interesting thing about this is Paul says for them to keep watch over not just their own individual lives, but he says each other's lives. The word he uses there is yourselves. It is plural. We are to keep watch over ourselves first and then to the church as a whole. This is community. This is accountability. And I want you to notice the order here. It says, first, pay careful attention to yourselves. In other words, before you care for the church of God, you've got to be taken care of and watching over yourselves. Mark Stott led us in a wonderful adult Sunday school class where one of the topics was legalism. Okay, I'm going to speak directly to us as leaders. we better be holding each other accountable and keeping watch over ourselves that we don't become a self-righteous legalistic church. Pay attention to ourselves because we all have that tendency, It's like gravity. If I jump, I'd probably get all of about a half inch off the ground. But guess what? I'm coming down to the ground. It's called gravity. I'm going to tell you right now, the gravity of your soul tends towards self-righteousness. Because that's the gravity of all of our lives, of all of our souls. So what does Paul say? He says, Ephesian elders, leaders, you're your own means of grace. Pay careful attention to yourselves. It's almost like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, we all have two-by-fours in our own eyes. And other people, think about all the heinous sins we're so good at noticing about others, how quickly we can judge those caught in sexual sin or addiction or don't have a viewpoint we have, or whatever it might be, how quick we are to remove specks. When we have a yacht, a boat, in our own eye. See, and this is also important for another reason. I want you to think about the influence that we have over those who follow us. See, this is an issue of spiritual authority. Who wants to follow someone whose basic demeanor is, come be a Christian like I'm a Christian? (laughs) that's not attractive at all. I can't tell you how many times, and to me this is utterly, utterly tragic, that I've heard from Christians, from Christians, people in the churches I've pastored, that they would never share their deepest, darkest secrets with other Christians. They would much rather share something that they felt guilty about or ashamed of with a non-Christian than they would with a Christian because they find Christians to be judgmental. Leadership is an issue of influence, and any influence is an issue of spiritual authority, and spiritual authority is an issue of character. Working on your character means owning your own stuff. It means looking inside at the plank. It's why David prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. When was the last time we prayed that prayer? Test me, O God, and see if there's any grievous or offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's in Psalm 139. So a leader's life is a diligent life. Lastly, look at the second half now of verse 28. A leader's life is a sacrificial life. We are overseers. Talks about pay attention to yourselves and to the flock. Okay, by flock, that means we are shepherds. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, looking at Scripture, having Scripture interpret Scripture, we are to base our shepherding on Jesus' shepherding of us. John chapter 10 says Jesus is the good shepherd. What are the characteristics of Jesus being our good shepherd? First of all, he knows his sheep. A shepherd knows his sheep. There was a man by the name of Douglas Macmillan who was a shepherd for years and then became a gospel minister. And he tells a number of stories in his exposition, a commentary he wrote. And he remembers one day, this particular story, where he was on a train with a friend of his who was also a shepherd. And three weeks before, this friend had sold a number of his sheep, a number of his lamb. And they were going past, and the train is pulling out of the station, and as they look up, there's a flock of sheep that he could see up on the hill, not too far away. But it was some distance away, and the shepherd looked out and said to Doug, Look, there are four of my lambs in there. And Doug McMillan did not say to him, sure, yeah, right, because he knew. He knew that shepherds know their sheep. He could spot his four particular lambs in this entire flock. McMillan himself in his commentary said that it was of the utmost importance when he would go out with his flock, when they started spreading out, that he would make eye contact with every single one. And so what he would do is he would go up on a ridge, which is fairly high up, So he could actually make eye contact with every single sheep in his flock. So whenever he would see a fox coming, which would happen quite often, he would watch. And when he saw the fox coming, he would whistle real loud, throw a rock to scare the fox off. And because he was real high up, he could see all the sheep. And he watched every sheep all the time. Now, why would a shepherd have to know a sheep like this and watch them like this? Because sheep are helpless animals. They are the most helpless of all the animals. And what is the point? Why is this metaphor, this image used? Because friends like it or not, and we're likened as sheep. We are helpless, spiritually dependent creatures. Utterly unself-sufficient. We lack self-sufficiency. Jesus, as our good shepherd, knows that. But secondly, he also values the sheep. See, sheep are the most helpless of all animals, but they're also the most valuable of all animals because every sheep, every single part of the sheep was valuable. They were pound for pound the most valuable animal you could have. You had the wool, you had the skin, you had the meat. Every single part was of value. And shepherds did not have their money in a bank, and when, then they raised sheep. That was their treasure. That was, the sheep was their wealth. That was their treasure. So when the wolves come, the people who are in it for money, what do they do? They just run off. But at this point, think about what Jesus is doing when he says, I am the good shepherd, because he is bursting the banks of the metaphor that he says, I love my sheep so much that when wolves come, I become a lamb myself. Because who is Jesus? He is saying, I am the sheep who becomes the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He would rather lose anything rather than see his sheep die. See, Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. We are his treasure. Everything in the universe he owns. But he says, I have bound up my heart with you. You are that valuable that I will die for you. I bound myself up with you. I bought you with my own blood. That is how valuable you are to me. And lastly, Jesus is our great shepherd who leads the sheep. Think about how Jesus leads us. Again, commentaries and scholars and historians, they tell us that there's a difference between Western shepherds and Eastern shepherds. They say Western shepherds drive the sheep ahead, but Eastern shepherds lead them, the sheep walking behind the shepherd. And see, they say that what this is saying, first of all, is that when you believe in Jesus Christ, he is right there with you. He doesn't give you a GPS system he doesn't give you a map. He gives you himself. Romans eight fourteen as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. See, if leaders are to shepherd their sheep, they must give the sheep themselves. We don't just give instructions. We don't just give a diagram. We don't just give a map. We give of our very lives because that's what Jesus does for us. In giving us his word, he's not just giving us doctrine or information. He is giving us his very own heart. He's giving us himself. That's how he leads us. That's why it's called a personal covenantal relationship. What a call, but what a Jesus See, the only way we will be able to be shepherds is if we know that we are sheep ourselves that are known, valued, and led by Jesus. The best shepherds are the biggest followers. We will only be effective leaders and shepherds to the degree that we need a big Jesus in our life. If we're thinking we can do this ourselves, we've just disqualified ourselves. We need a big Jesus and follow a big Jesus and then who knows what he's going to do in and through us. I'll close with this Layton Ford who worked for years with Billy Graham. Said it real simply, he says Our call is to lead more like Jesus and to lead more to Jesus. Father, I pray that we would all grow and cultivate and become shepherds like this. I ask, Father, that you would be with us. I ask, Father, that now as we proceed to the installation, that you will go before us. Pray, Father, your presence in our midst, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to call Tommy Evans and Bob Patton and Doug Attaway and Mark Stott to come up front here. Wes Hunt is also being installed, but in absentia. He couldn't make it this morning. Yeah, come on up front. I think this way we get you all captured on the live stream beautifully. Doug and Mark are being installed to the office of deacon, and notice my language. All four of these men have already been ordained prior, so this is an installation, not an ordination. In the PCA, once you're ordained as elder and deacon, you're always ordained, but you serve an office, you come out of office, so you get reinstalled. Doug and Mark are being installed as deacon, which is a high office of mercy, and service the greek word diakonos means servant and jesus is not only our great shepherd he's our great deacon he is the ultimate diakonos as jesus was speaking to his disciples and they talked about and i love this 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 is we're fallen men guys and we're in good company think about james and john sending their mother okay to talk to jesus and say, I want you to do something for us. I want my boys to sit on the right and the left, you know, to really be great and even greater than the rest of these guys in the kingdom of heaven. And in the midst of Jesus so gently and tenderly kind of putting them on a course correction and talking about what true greatness is, that it's not lording it over anybody, it's serving, he says, for even the Son of Man. Think about how mind-boggling this is. Even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself Came not to be served, but to serve. Came as a deacon, to give his life for others. And then elders are called to be shepherds and overseers, to know the sheep, to value the sheep, to love the sheep, and to sacrifice for the sheep. Bob and Tommy have both been ordained as elders and are being installed into that office this morning. So men, I want to ask you these following questions for you to affirm and acknowledge in the presence of the congregation. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? And do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures, And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this vow? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Do you accept the office of ruling elder and deacon in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? And do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? Now, I'm going to ask you, the members of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, a question to which, if you can answer in the affirmative, I would ask you to raise your right hands. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as ruling elders and deacons? And do you promise to yield to them all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which the office, according to the Word of God, and the constitution of this church entitles them. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you so much for these men, for Mark and Bob and Tommy and Doug and for Wes. I thank you for their willingness to follow you, their willingness to serve. And Lord, I thank you for the congregation of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. And I do pray that I think above all other things that we would faithfully pray for these men. That we would pray that they would not be led into temptation. That we would pray that the gospel would continue to reign in their lives. That Jesus would be big. That they would, yes, continue to see their need and see their sinfulness and call out and cry out for Jesus. to Have a big Savior so as to lead us as your people to a big Savior. That we would, together, testify to the gospel of God's grace. Empower these men. Give them wisdom from on high. Give them humility in their office. May they not ever be too certain, but instead question themselves and follow hard after you. Lord, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Anoint these men with your spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, I now pronounce and declare, men, that you have been regularly elected and installed as elders and deacons in this church, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, you are entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Now stay there. Don't get, don't get to sit down. See, I'm following my rule book. I'm now called to give a brief exhortation to you, a brief charge, and I'm actually going to do it from Acts chapter 20, the passage that I just preached from. If we're going to fulfill our call to testify to the gospel of God's grace, that means your biggest need, your biggest challenge, biggest charge in your life is for you yourselves to know the gospel, to cultivate the gospel in your life. That is more important than anything else you do. And cultivating the gospel means, first of all, knowing the character of God. It begins with God. The gospel is all about God. His holiness, his love, his tenderness, his gentleness, his truth, his righteousness, his justice, his mercy. It is knowing the heart and the character of God. Knowing the heart and character of God means we also then come to know ourselves. So cultivating the gospel means that we get to know ourselves. That means we don't just in a generic or general sense say, well, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and I'm part of the all, so I've fallen short. No, it means knowing your particular weaknesses, particular areas of pride and self-righteousness. Yeah, I said it. We all have it. But it manifests itself different in each one of our lives. John Calvin said, all true knowledge consists of this, knowledge of God and of ourselves, which leads back to the knowledge of God. So part of my charge is knowing the gospel means you are called to know yourself. And of course, as we know ourselves, we can then get to know God through the person of Jesus Christ. Where we know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. May that message never get old or stale or dry to you. That the Lord does not count your iniquity against you. Which means cultivating the gospel, our response is, guess what? Men, we need to be the biggest repenters in this church. If we're going to ask our friends sitting out here to repent, we have to be the chief repenters. We have to be the ones leading in vulnerability, leading in repenting over our sins and our weaknesses, being the chief repenters. All of that is involved in counting our lives of no value unless we finish the task to which God has given us, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I offer you the right hand of fellowship. As we close our service, let's stand together and sing to God be the glory. the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen. Amen.